HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Kane5.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Listen, let's get real on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Weitz, your host. Actually, this is Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. Let's not forget, that's the whole show's name. So, remember two weeks ago, I did, my, I did a live show two weeks ago, and it was about edible advertising. Remember that? Remember there was a Fanta ad that you could eat? So that you could taste the chemically saturated, artificially flavored paper version of the artificially flavored drink. Remember I said that we had descended to seventh degree foodiness with edible ads because edible ads aren't even foodiness. Foodiness at least implies a degree of edibility. I think those ads are something else entirely. They're a whole new category of post-foodiness scary. It's like the line from the John Hughes classic teen film, The Breakfast Club, where Judd Nelson's character Bender says to Molly Ringwald's character Claire, as she's about to eat her detention day lunch of takeout sushi, you won't let a guy put his tongue in your mouth, but you'll eat that? People who would normally faint with squeamishness or cringe in disgust at eating something like a duck liver or a stinky cheese or even a dirty carrot right from the ground will unquestioningly ingest a piece of paper flavored with chemicals to taste like a soda entirely made of chemicals. Now, this was, of course, back in the early 80s, the movie. And back then, you couldn't get sushi at every supermarket or drugstore or gas station, for that matter. It was still something rare and somewhat elite, and it defined your class if you ate it. Claire was classy. Bender was blue-collar. Of course, they wound up making out with each other. I mean, who wouldn't have made out with Judd Nelson in the 80s, even with those big flaring nostrils? I mean, I would have let him put his tongue in my mouth. 
So anyway, in that episode, edible ads are the toilet babies of food, I proclaimed that edible advertising was seventh degree foodiness. Now, this is significant because previously I had assured the public that there were only six degrees of foodiness, that, say, an orange-flavored gummy vitamin was the furthest down the foodiness rabbit hole you could go. But that was only because it hadn't occurred to me that we would one day be eating ads for foodiness. It's like you think there couldn't be anything less real than Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Foursquare, Pinchit, StumbleUpon, Pinterest, and Instagram. And along comes clout, which claims to calculate how influential you are in comparison to others. Just like you should never be eating advertising, no one who has any influence in this world is sitting around on their device uploaded to a program telling them how influential they are. Do you get it? Clout is the edible ads of social media. But as I tumbled further down the rabbit hole into the realm of the seventh degree, I missed a floor. Or maybe it was more like I missed the mezzanine in the depths of that foodiness rabbit hole. And it turns out there's a six and a half degree, six and a half, half degree of foodiness. It's not exactly food. It's not quite edible advertising. It's someplace in between that. Somewhere between gummy vitamins and flavored paper is a product that we in the U.S. as consumers spend $2.7 billion on every year. $2.7 billion we spend on this one so-called food. I mean, imagine how many problems we could solve with that kind of money. How many college educations? How many community gardens? How much medical care? How much consulting work for me could $2.7 billion pay for? So what is it? What are we spending all that cash on? Gum! Fucking gum. Gum isn't food, obviously, but I'm not sure it's even foodiness. My original definition of foodiness implied edibility. And as far as I was taught, you're not supposed to eat gum because it takes like a thousand years to digest and it glues your intestines together or something like that. That's why we don't give infants gum as one of their first foods because it's not. Gum serves no purpose, none whatsoever, nothing. It's not nutrition. Other than to give our overworked mouth something else to work on in between the Big big Up and the Cheetos, it doesn't nourish It doesn't feed us in any way. It won't prevent you from starving to death or prevent malnourishment. Freshens breath, yes. Satisfies oral fixations, sure. Curbs nicotine cravings, I don't know. I've never smoked. Prevents hunger pangs? That's what my mother and all her overweight friends told me when I was a fat kid in my childhood, leading me to regularly get in trouble for chewing gum in school. And as it turns out, chewing gum makes you hungrier because it stimulates your salivary glands, which tells your brain and your stomach that food is coming. So much for that theory. Thanks, Mom. Gum was something that you got as a treat. A penny slipped into a gumball machine. A stick of juicy fruit from your grandpa's glove box in his big Pontiac. It was like candy, but not candy you ate, so you didn't ruin your appetite for dinner. An occasional treat. A little hint of sweetness or mint after an oniony lunch or a smoke. Gum was fairly benign, innocent, naive even. And gum was originally made from chicle, which is the natural sap of rubber trees. People would chew 
that latex from the trees. But long ago, the gum makers abandoned the chicle for synthetics. Today, gum is basically chewable plastic. People who freak out and go totally apeshit over BPA in their kid's lunchbox will still chew a pack of gum a day, working all those plasticizers and chemicals out of it and right into their bloodstream. Let me put it to you this way. If Fox News reported that the terrorists were somehow or some way getting plasticizers and chemicals into our bloodstreams, we'd invade. Well, okay, we've already invaded everybody, so... We'd reinvade. We'd send even more drones over there to smoke out the terrorists, polluting our bodies with the chemicals and the plastics. But we'll spend $2.7 billion to ingest it ourselves if it's produced by craft and flavored like mint or strawberry. And I just recently learned that you don't even need to purchase gum by the pack now. Gum now comes in big plastic tubs designed to fit into your car's cup holder. Now, I don't spend that much time in cars in the suburbs. And when I saw this in someone's car not that long ago, I really couldn't believe it. Do we need to have that constant a stream of gum, an unfettered access opportunity, so that we can chew that synthetic latex cud all day like feedlot cattle? Chewing away the day in our SUV pens, never actually moving under our own power or exertion, just being shifted from one feeding opportunity to the next. $2.7 billion. That's a lot of gum. If we're spending $2.7 billion just on gum, we deserve the hell we've created for ourselves. It makes me just want to give up, grab an edible ad for orange-flavored gum with vitamin C, eat it, and sign on to Clout to find out how influential I am. But we'll check on that more after this short break. We'll be right back. This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery. In our industrial world, most wines have become brands, but the wines I love are so much more. Fine wine is a civilizing substance that connects us to nature. It cannot be stamped out in a factory. If you're listening to this great show, you probably eat different. I urge you to drink different too. Go deeper. Cane5.com Welcome back to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Wides, your host, and we are talking about gum 
today. So the thing about the gum that we all chewed when we were growing up is that it never made any claims. Other than the sugarless kind claiming not to cause cavities, it didn't pretend to be anything but gum. It wasn't a form of food, a vehicle for delivery of nutrition. It was just gum. Okay, there was aspergum. Remember that? Aspergum was chewable, aspirin-infused gum for people who, I guess, couldn't swallow aspirin. Now, I used to lie and say that I was chewing aspergum for headaches when I was really just chewing regular gum. It was a loophole that I figured out I could wiggle my chubby little body right through. And I managed to even chew a piece of aspergum once in my ballet class. But my 100-year-old chain-smoking Russian teacher, she didn't buy it. She could stand there and smoke unfiltered Lucky Strikes all day, but no fat 8-year-old was going to chew gum in her ballet class. And of course, we all watched Willy Wonka growing up or read the books and imagined chewing that gum that he had created that would simulate eating a full meal, including hot roast beef with gravy and finishing with blueberry pie. Do you remember that? Remember Violet Beauregard ate it and then she turned into a blueberry? Now, watching that and reading the books, that actually kind of grossed me out because I didn't want my gum to taste like food. I didn't want it to taste like roast beef or gravy. I ate quite enough real food at home, probably too much, and I wanted my gum to be candy, a treat, something special. But gum was seen as kind of low class or tacky, or maybe even chewing it was seen as a sign of low intelligence. In in our crowd, none of the children of the college professors and doctors that I grew up with chewed it or were allowed to chew it. Only the offspring of the blue-collar dads, the construction guys, and the moms with the feathered hair. The girls who were allowed to read Tiger Beat, not my friends who could only read Cricket and Little House on the Prairie books. Now, actually, I had friends in both crowds. I kind of walked the line between them with a secret wad of double mint tucked into my pudgy little cheek. Nonetheless, it was just gum. Regular old juicy fruit, Bazooka Joe, double mint. Then the bubblegum wars of the 70s broke out. Bubble yum versus bubblicious versus hubba bubba. There was the bubble yum smear campaign with rumors of spider eggs and cancer and a full page ad in the New York Times refuting it. You can just Google it. It's all there. All innocuous enough. Sugar-free gum like Trident and Dentine and then, of course, Orbit. Freedent, which wouldn't stick to my grandfather's dental work, so he chewed it. Okay, maybe sugarless gum was the first foodiness gum product. Even I'll let, I'll let that slide. It was so innocuous. You didn't keep a bucket of it in your car. Your mom kept it in her purse for maybe after a furtive smoke. Or, you know, you chewed a piece after you ate some raw onions. I don't think gum became foodiness level six and a half until Freshen Up came along. Remember Freshen Up? It was gum that you bit down on and this cold mint gel came oozing out into your mouth. A gel, which you would then swallow while the gum stayed in your mouth. Maybe that was what Bender was referring to. Of course, we loved Freshen Up as kids. It was so cool and new and cutting edge. It was a, it was a sensory experience that actually presaged, pre-foretold what was to come. Now, you can't even get regular old juicy fruit or double mint gum anymore. They've actually reformulated them, and now they all have artificial sweeteners in them. And it doesn't say sugar-free anywhere on the package because now they're sweetened with a combination of sugar and corn syrup and NutraSweet 
and asulfame potassium, which are all artificial sweeteners and all toxic and all dangerous. But nobody tells you that on the front of the package. And I accidentally bought some a few years ago thinking I would give gum another shot. Now back to my personal history of gum. Continued. When my niece, who is now 13, reached gum-chewing age, which I guess is like three or four, my sister, while loath to let her have any, figured she was okay with something like double mint. I read the fine print and was shocked to see how the ingredients had changed since our childhoods. Used to be just gum base, sugar, and mint. Now, as I was saying, there was aspartame and asulfame K, both toxic artificial sweeteners, along with the sugar and a good dose of corn syrup. Why did they have to mess with something as classic and simple as double mint? I bet Rumsfeld had something to do with it. But like everything today that comes to us down the foodiness rabbit hole, gum has been enhanced. It's now a vehicle for vitamin delivery, for caffeine, for extreme performance, for foodiness nutrition in a form so easy to access, you don't even need to lift a cup or bottle to your lips anymore. Now, I'm not sure which one is actually more work, drinking or gum chewing. Gum chewing does require jaw motion, but no lower body activity. Beverages require arm motion, but only swallowing. Hmm. I think we need to commission a study on that one at the Foodiness Research Centers. We'll be recruiting volunteers for that. You can sign up online. So now there are all these new enhanced gum products out there in the market, and they're making all sorts of dubious claims. Let's investigate some of these claims, shall we? They claim that the gum will recharge your afternoon, keep you from driving drowsy, run and cycle faster, give you a party in your pocket. Help you kick ass in class. Support our troops. Increase performance, improve concentration, and improve reaction speed. They say that these gums redefine the limits of possibility and will make you fearless. They're also marketed as airport safe as opposed to drinks, which can, I guess, be used as lethal weapons, which means the terrorists haven't figured out a way to use gum to blow up a plane yet. I really shouldn't be giving these ideas away for free. I guess the only thing that gum can't do yet is cure impotence. Oh, wait, but I guess that might be what they mean by the party in your pocket reference. The point is, is that they're marketed as energy boosters for active, high-powered athletes, rock climbers, super moms, etc. But they're really just for people who are too lazy to even pick up an energy drink, I think. It's an easy, one-piece, non-perishable, shelf-stable, impulse-by-product that reflects our caffeinated, tweeted, Adderall, ADD-fueled world. So that by chewing the enhanced gum, I can go to spin class, text, tweet, and foursquare that I'm in spin class while I whiten my teeth, microwave an organic chicken patty, and drive the nanny to pick up the kids from soccer all at the same time. And I don't need to eat any real food because I can get my vitamins now from gum so I'll lose weight, and since I'm not drinking anything either, I won't even have to stop and pee anymore. Some of these gum products like Jolt and Vibe and Power Play Energy Gum pack in the caffeine. And the caffeine in gum is in a delivery system that's much more rapid and efficient than coffee. The military gives caffeine gum to the troops in battle to keep them alert and focused because that's exactly what we need. Exhausted soldiers in the Middle East desert hyped up on too much caffeine with their fingers on the trigger. But just think what it'll do for you in your Pilates class. One enhanced gum ad features a rock climber, 
And since she's got both hands occupied with preventing her death plunge, the power gum is what she needs instead of a pesky energy drink in her hand. Now, having done a lot of hiking myself and some climbing, I can tell you I don't want gum in my mouth when I'm hanging off the, off the edge of a cliff. If you slip or trip or fall when you're climbing, you might also choke on that gum or worse, swallow it. And who's going to give you the Heimlich maneuver when you're hanging off the side of a cliff? And remember what happens when you swallow your gum. Plus, that means all kinds of climbers and hikers now spitting out the gum and making our national parks and mountains look like the New York City subway platforms. Now, that particular enhanced gum, the one with the ads of the rock climbing lady, That gum has 6,000 Facebook likes, which means we're now at the point where people actually go online to a gum Facebook page and like it. Now, for my under 30 listeners, people are what consumers were called in the past. If you don't know what people are, Google them. And truly, if you think chewing that gum will help you rock climb, you deserve to fall off that cliff. And there's no bias against gum anymore. You know, it used to be considered kind of tacky and low class. If you look at old movies from the 40s, the kind of, you know, blousy, floozy, bleach blonde, she was always chewing gum. Ingrid Bergman never chewed the gum. The tacky girl, the hooker, the trashy girl from the trailer, the messed up girl down the block, she chewed the gum. How many smart people do you know who chew gum? How many times did you see Jackie Onassis caught on tape pulling out a stick of juicy fruit? Being found dead in a seedy hotel room under suspicious circumstances after having had an illicit affair with a sitting president? Yes. Chewing gum in front of the paparazzi? Escaping Ron Galella? Running into Ari Onassis' limo? No. You get it? They even allow gum in Singapore now. Singapore, the last place on earth to ban gum, or the only place on earth, really, that banned the sale and chewing of gum, even they allow it now, which I think is a true sign of the apocalypse. And with all this performance-enhancing gum hitting the shelves, nobody says anything about hydration. If I'm engaged in extreme sports, is that little wad of gum supplying me with water? Maybe it is. How do they do that? Fit two liters of water into one tiny little wad of gum, but only if it's flavored water enhanced with electrolytes. And if caffeine in your gum isn't enough, there are now also gums fortified with herbs and vitamins added too, like Stride Spark, which has 25% of the RDA of vitamins B6 and B12, and also creates a tingling sensation in your mouth. It's like chewable Red Bull basically. Now, I prefer to get my 25% of my RDA of B6 and B12 from food. And if I want my mouth to tingle, I'll eat mint leaves or chili peppers or have a gin and tonic. Thank you very much. Not some chemical that came out of WMD research. There's also a sub-brand of Trident now called Vigorate, which also has vitamin C, ginseng, mint, and white tea. This is marketed at a slightly older, classier crowd. They view this gum as more sophisticated, more upscale. Apparently, the 24 to 34-year-old consumer leaves the gum market at this point, or as they put it, exits the category. And a gum like Vigorate is meant to draw them back in, like some marketing version of re-entry. 
With their ads of winter landscapes and orange groves, you'll never need to eat actual mint or oranges again. And the 24 to 34 year olds are the ones having kids, so the kids will never know it either. They'll grow up chewing gum inspired by a flavor profile of a noble herb that has a taste that is as timeless as time itself. That's actual copy from their advertising. A taste that is as timeless as time itself. Which raises our second important question of this episode. Besides how did Rich Molly Ringwald and working class Judd Nelson wind up going to the same high school, which is this. Can time be timeless? Very clever, gum gurus. Does Rumsfeld works for you? So if we have gum with vitamins and gum with herbs and gum with tea and gum with caffeine, what do we need food for? I'm sure there's gum with protein right around the corner since everything is enhanced with protein now except the actual food, which is so industrialized, it's lost all its nutrition. So you're forced to get your protein from gum. It's like when you see under 30-year-olds look up from their device at the New York City streets for a second, but there's nothing to look at anymore in the streets except other people staring down at their devices. So what do you do? You go, out to fig- you go back to figuring out your social media score on clout. Even Bazooka Joe got a makeover recently. Yes, beloved classic Bazooka Joe had his look changed They altered his turtleneck, they changed his hair, they updated his jokes, they made him more contemporary. It's hard getting older. Everything changes. Nothing ever stays the same. But look, I don't want you to have to understand gum manufacturing and flavor profile R&D and how they lead to climbers falling off cliffs or drone pilots firing at the wedding caravan instead of the one with all the machine guns or five-year-olds who are going to grow up thinking you eat advertising, not food. So let me give you some general guidelines. Like I've always said, if it comes in a bottle, don't drink it unless it's booze. Or if you really just want a candy bar, eat a fucking candy bar. Think of it this way. If you want gum, chew gum. If you want energy or nutrition or vitamins or herbs or tea, eat food or drink tea. If you want a rock climb, stop liking the Facebook pages of gum brands with images of rock climbers and learn how to climb a damn rock. And most importantly, if you don't want to eat or chew shit, Keep listening to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, eating food here on the Heritage Radio Network. Now, remember that you can find every Heritage Radio Network show ever recorded on the heritageradionetwork.org website or on iTunes. They're all available on iTunes. And if you're a fan of Let's Get Real, please follow me on Twitter at Let's Get Real Show. You can also find me on Facebook at Let's Get Real. And please check out my website, which is letsgetrealshow.com, where you can view videos of the week's show, plus other video clips of other things I've done, like appearing on the local Channel 8 Fox Cleveland morning show, which I did last week. So that's about it. We're out of time. Thanks to Joe in the control room. Thanks to Chris Nutter, my co-producer. Thanks to Adam for being the videographer. And we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website, 
or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.